everybody, and welcome back to the Skillier of the Podcast. A special week here as we hit the second major of the year, the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills in Aaron, Wisconsin. I have two of the esteemed Daily Roto golf minds alongside me with Colin Drew, Drewby417, and Drew Dinkmeyer as well. Here to spend some time talking about what should be a really fun week. Uh, a lot to talk about, guys. Um, I'll start, though, asking you how you're, you are feeling about the week before we you know get too far in. I know it's only Tuesday, so we've got some days to mull over decisions and play around with the weather, what might happen there. But Colin, Drewby, how are you feeling thus far this week headed into the U.S. Open? Ah, I'm pretty pumped heading into the U.S. Open. I, I think I'm kind of I feel like I'm ahead of the curve at least from a work perspective this week, and so I'm ready to I'm ready to build teams now and have it start tomorrow. So sad we have to wait until Thursday. I'm hoping I can keep this one and done heater in our daily road league going that I'm on. Yeah, for those who might not know, Drewby has now picked three straight winners in one and done, um, <laughs> which is abs- absurd, absolutely absurd. It's hard enough to pick one winner, but he's done it now three times. Uh, consecutively. So, Drew, how are you feeling about this week? Uh, any preliminary thoughts before we get into stuff? I was really excited about this week. Um, I got started on my research last week doing a spot on the Pat Mayo Hour. And what has been disappointing to me as I've gotten further along in my research is realizing that some of the players that I really love, I'm not alone in. And it will be interesting from a tournament perspective to figure out um, how I want to handle that in terms of ownership weights or in terms of like trying to trying to find conviction in secondary plays that I don't currently have, but I'm trying to trying to get there on plays. So I'm excited for the event. I love the majors. The coverage on the majors is usually better. DirecTV usually gives you the quad box where you can kind of watch everything all at once. Um, so I'm excited for that aspect. But from a DFS perspective, I'm hoping that some of the players that I love aren't quite as owned as I think they're going to be. We'll get into some of those players that you really love, Drew. But first, let's talk a little bit about the course and what we might be able to expect otherwise um, with like weather and stuff, which will play a factor here. Historically, you know, the U.S. Open, the most difficult of I don't know, all tournaments or at least all of the majors here, the scoring environment, very, very difficult. Uh, we saw here today at Aaron Hills, they started to cut some of the fescue. I saw a note real quick before we got on here that the USGA said that was uh, partially because of what they're expecting with weather, not necessarily the you know the scrutinization they were getting from players prior to. Uh, but this is a very long course as well. It's a par 72, stretches 7,741 yards. We've got four par fives, uh, certain holes that we'll see different varying lengths on throughout the tournament here. It's a fun course uh, to look at here, but also a very difficult course. Drewby, do you have any thoughts? Is this... Kind of the way it's it's set it's it's you know aiming to be set up and uh, with the weather as well thrown in there. Do you have any thoughts on leaning towards one type of player for this week? Yeah, I think the picture is starting to become a little bit more clear as the week goes on, and, and to me that um, it, it's going to play long. And I was listening to an interview with Jason Day earlier today, and he was talking about his game plan this whole week had been to put a two iron in his bag and he'd be able to hit that like 270, 275 in the air and it would run out 300 yards. And he was going to approach most of the holes with that as his driving club and not have to take out driver. And he said that he's not even sure if he's going to put that club in his bag anymore because it's been wet and it it looks like it is going to be wet again tomorrow. And if that's the case, it's going to play soft and it's going to play long. And so I think part of the reason that the u.s open was cutting down some of that fescue i think is just because like super long and wet fescue is just something you probably came in advance the ball out of a lot of the times um and then the other thing i think that's in play is definitely the wind and so i think that was one of the other things it looks like the wind forecasts are somewhat um not not mild but not not like British Open elements on Thursday and Friday, but it looks like the weather definitely kicks up a lot over the weekend. So all of that to me, I think, has me leaning more towards the the bombers route. Uh, I think obviously you want guys that can still keep the ball in play. And so um, it's not just taking distance for the sake of distance, but I think definitely leaning heavier on the longer guys um, is where, where I'm leaning as of now. 
Right, and and you mentioned keeping the ball in play. We saw Rory's quotes here about it being 60 yards from you know the the rough from one side of the rough to the other side, and that if you can't keep it within that 60 yards, you might as well pack up and and go home. Drew, any thoughts on the on the course? Are you leaning towards bombers as well? Or are you sort of waiting to see? I know that's typically our approach with with weather here, and we don't want to necessarily jump to conclusions a few days ahead of time, but have you started to maybe narrow down um, like a tee time or, or, or any particular type of player? So a lot of my thoughts are similar to Collins in the sense that I am using weather a little bit more. I think there might be slight uh, advantages on the tea time stuff, but more so in the sense of precipitation than wind, which is usually the exact opposite. But the reason being exactly what uh, what Colin described is I came into this week thinking that the yardage might be a little bit deceiving to a lot of people because there's there's ele- there's a few elevated tea boxes. It's very it's you know it's uh, very wide open from a course perspective, and there's a lot of elevation in the fairways as well, which would allow balls to roll. And I thought. The penalties coming into the week, the penalties were going to be so severe if you missed that accuracy still was going to matter. Certainly you wanted to favor longer hitters, but I wasn't going to favor longer hitters at the expense of accuracy. Now, with the with the forecast being a little bit wet and you might not get the balls rolling out, that really would favor longer hitters because they don't need the extra distance from the rollouts uh, to, to carry their drives relative to the rest of the field. So I still think accuracy matters. But not like I I thought coming into the week, it was going to be more of like a 60 40 weight for me. Now it's probably going to be more like a 70 30 weight on uh, distance over accuracy. And so that is also pushing me a little bit more towards the bombers. Basically, if this course is wet, I think it's very, very favorable for the longest hitters. If this course is dry, I think it's neutral enough in terms of the uh, the accuracy mattering because there's fairway bunkers and different things like that that you don't necessarily want to completely discount short hitters or you don't want to necessarily uh, completely invest in w- wildly erratic long hitters. Yeah, one question we saw, guys, in our uh, hip chat here with some of the subscribers, and I just want to throw it out there to you because I didn't actually see an answer from anyone, was... Um, this course has not been played yet this year, so we're, we're getting you know this pristine condition. Uh, Drewby, you put here in the the little cheat sheet for us that rumors are the greens are as pure as Augusta if they can be. Are you giving any additional thought to? I know putting is highly variant. Are you giving any additional thought to anything like that, or more so staying with the the traditional kind of thinking about the the potential length and, and what will happen there with it being dry versus wet? Uh, so, any thoughts on on putting or anything like that here, Drewby? No, I mean, I I don't think I've seen anything conclusive enough to say whether like poor putters benefit from bad condition greens or, or perfect greens. Um, I know a lot of times when we look at what, like when I looked at the data for the masters, yeah, you have the, the speeds who definitely pop, but a lot of times it ends up being like ball strikers and guys who are great tee to green who have done well at Augusta, Bubba Watson, Adam Scott, uh, a couple names off the top of my head. And so those guys aren't great, great putters. And so, um, it, there's, there's nothing really there that I've seen that lets me decide one way or another. So, I'm still going to wait putting um, as, as I kind of always do. And it, it's definitely an advantage to be a great putter, but it's something that's still volatile and I'm not going to really treat it any differently this week. Hey, Drew, one of the other different things about this tournament is that we're, we're getting a different cut rule than we would typically see on just like a normal week, which is where instead of top 70 in ties, we're getting the cut rule of top 60s in ties. So you're getting less guys through the cut. Is that changing your strategy, uh, whether it be, and you can speak to either cash game GPP or maybe it's not changing for either one of those things, but is that going to change the type of player that you might pick? I know available to, over uh, on dailyroto.com with the Albatross projections, which you can still get if you have not already signed up for, we'll get the, you know, the made cut probabilities. That's one of the great features there. Uh, are you looking to maybe maximize guys getting through the cut? I know with a, a difficult scoring environment, we're focused so much so on getting guys to finish highly, you know, on, on the leaderboard there, getting guys to finish and, and taking the the place points. So is anything with the less guys through the cut, is that changing your strategy at all this week? 
a little bit, but it goes more hand in hand with what you just mentioned with tougher scoring environments overall, which the U.S. Open is known for, means finishing points represent a higher percentage of your overall points. Whether you're playing on DraftKings or FanDuel, uh, the finishing points start to count more than if the winner is at like 20 under, where all those scoring points from birdies and eagles and, and stuff rack up. When you don't have as many of those scoring points, you have more negatives factored in from bogeys and double bogeys and a double or worse, it makes it so that the finishing points matter more. When you have a cut that is going to make it tougher for people to get six of six through and uh, on DraftKings and eight of eight through will certainly be a heck of a challenge on FanDuel. That makes it so that, again, the finishing points are more valuable. So I'm really focusing on um, trying to find kind of high-end potential finishers, which you always are, but that is all, that is also going to make it so that I'm a little bit more willing to take and embrace risks um, in lineup construction processes, going perhaps a little bit more uh, studs and duds, and not really duds because even these guys at cheaper price tags in the majors are really good plays, but a little bit more of uh, of kind of uh, binary builds with more expensive players and less expensive players kind of working together. Yeah, you'd anticipate there, Drew, right, with the the lack of scoring, I guess is a, an okay way to put it, maybe not, um, that the the discrepancy between your highest scores and your lowest scores, that margin is going to shrink a little bit. So you might be able to take a little bit of risk. Is that what you're uh, essentially getting at there? Yeah, I think essentially, and the the guys that make the cut even, I mean, the the conditions look like they're going to be tougher on the weekend than they are going to be on Thursday and Friday. So the guys that make the cut even uh, might have challenging uh, opportunities to score in the in the third and fourth rounds. Just if they make the cut, they might not necessarily be providing boatloads of points. So I think the the getting high finishers into your lineup is going to be by far the most important, uh, more important than normal weeks compared to getting a more substantial number of players through the cut line. Hey, Drewby, uh, this is, I think golf in general, golfers in general have a, a really cool presence um, in terms of social media. And this is maybe a little off track because you guys are both really numbers driven guys, which is great. Uh, we love that here on this podcast, but I like to have a little fun too. This seems to be anytime we come up to one of these tournaments, like a, a big tournament where the course is going to be crazy and all this stuff. We've seen all the, the tweets and the quotes from all these players. Do you take any stock in anything that these guys are showing or maybe saying? You know, like Rory came out, hasn't played in a while, but has said that he really likes the, the course. He thinks he's going to be able to hit driver everywhere here. Are you? Do you put any stock into what these guys might be saying um, like in, on social media or anything like that, Drewby? Yeah, I think you try to figure out how you can weigh it. But, I mean, they're there. They're playing the course, right? And we're sitting behind a computer trying to analyze some course that we've never seen before and don't have any data on. And so I, I think when you see someone like Rory saying that he can hit driver anywhere, then that, that shows you that he's not worried about it being, like, super tight. Um, I don't know if I'm, like like, weighing that as me thinking he's saying, like, he's in great form and he's super confident heading into the week. But definitely about the, the course setup and then when you hear day talk about his plan had been to use a two iron off the tee but now he thinks he has to maybe take that out of his bag and maybe put a three wood back in like i think that's pretty telling as far as how the course is going to play and so i don't know like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like change my opinion on kevin nah, i wasn't gonna play him anyways but because he's like bitching about the fescue but i think it definitely stuff <laughs> about the course setup when we don't have any data is a good thing yeah did you see the i saw somebody posted in our slack the the we kim video from the bunkers um which was no. absolutely no. it's like a if you get a chance to look up we kim on instagram uh, like an absurd, you can't even escape. It's like a trap bunker. Uh, it's it was horrifying. A poor guy. Hopefully nobody ends up there. Certainly players will, but that'll be uh, terrifying if you're a golfer. If you have a guy with a lot of exposure to uh, that ends up there. A few notes before we get into the actual like tiers of players here. Um, a couple guys that we might want to just talk a little bit about from an injury perspective. So we have a guy like Brant Snedeker uh, who's been playing through an injury. We don't really have any other news. The price tag is maybe taking that injury injury into consideration, um, expecting probably some low ownership on him. Drew, any thoughts on Brant? Like, are you going to own him at all, or is this just a risk that doesn't need to be taken? 
I came into the week thinking it was a risk that ha- that didn't need to be taken because, frankly, I've done this the last two events that Brandt's been in, and odds continue to like him when you look at you know T20 odds or odds to win. He still rates pretty favorably relative to his price tag, but he just hasn't he hasn't put together really impressive rounds. He's not you know picking up tons of strokes um, off the tee or you know on the approach shots. So I kind of. I kind of think that I'm not going to go there, but then you look at projected ownership and it's really intriguing um, given where the odds stand. So um, my lean is I'm still not going to go there. Other guys where like Charles uh, Schwartzel, who we saw last weekend uh, put together a couple of good rounds and look more like uh, his normal self. And has said he's, he's uh, further behind the injury. Like I'm more open to those guys, but Brant where the form looks off. If you look on the strokes gain stuff that uh, Colin puts together on Tableau, you know, he's lost some substantial strokes off the tee the last few weeks around uh, on the approach shots. He's lost strokes as well, basically needing to put the lights out to to uh, make any sort of headway. And it's, you know, uh, if it's going to be a bomber's course, that's not really Brant's thing. So I'm probably off Brant, but guys like Charles, who's shown a little bit of form of late or Rory, uh, who the course seems like a perfect fit for. And we just don't know where he's with from a ribbon of back perspective. It sounds like it's more of a managing number of balls thing than a pain tolerance thing. Uh, that he hits so i i feel like those guys i'm a little bit more in on where the course fit makes sense uh than the guys where you have concerns about course fit uh relative to their injury as well drewby you've been the you know the the ownership projections guy uh, or at least throwing your hat in that ring here recently rory being rory uh and a name that everyone knows and will need to know here and the injuries, do you have concerns? Like, will you be loading up on Rory? Do you expect others to do the same? Where are you on the Rory game? Uh, um, I th- think I'll have some exposure to Rory. Uh, I think he's probably going to check in as one of the lowest owned of kind of the guys above 10K, and he's definitely going to be lower owned than DJ. And in some of the, I guess, like larger field or more casual tournaments, I know like a lot of the the sharps or the high stakes players in DFS love Rory and they love DJ and like those guys will get ownership kind of no matter what. I think people are willing to kind of give Rory the benefit of the doubt. But I think in some of the other tournaments where we haven't seen him for a while and we have some of the other guys come in with better form, um, I, I think he'll be lower owned in kind of those tournaments. I think with on the Sneds case, I think the setup seeming like it's going to favor longer players kind of makes that like seem like it's even more out of the question than it might've been before. I think at the end of the day, like if if you want to gamble on like a millionaire maker type, I, like I'm expecting him to come in close to four percent owned, which is great leverage if he actually can come through with like a top ten finish. Um, but you kind of need to be willing to completely lose that buy-in. So if like a, a thirty-three dollar buy-in is something that you care about as part of your bankroll, then it's probably best to look elsewhere. All right. Well, let's let Rory lead us right into the to the top end. These highest players. Uh, the highest price, but also the best players in the field, the guys that we feel might have the best chance to actually win this tournament. You have the DJ, Speed, Rory, Day, Fowler, Rom, Sergio, the Masters champion here. Uh, this group makes up all the guys priced at 10000 or above. Uh, you can sort of sort based on the value here in, a, in the Albatross model, but I, I really just want to hear uh, from both of you who what your thoughts might be on this range and who your favorites or least favorites uh, or any other outlandish takes or opinions or thoughts on this range you might have. Because this, in particular, is you know probably the most important range to try and get right because it's the guys who have the best chance to win it all. Um, so, Drew, I'll start with you. Who I mean, what what are you doing with this range? Are you are you locking in on a few guys? Are you spreading it around? Uh, what's what's it going to be like for Drew Denkmeyer in the 10k plus range? So I think it depends a little bit on the type of tournament that you're playing. For me, um, if I'm going to mass multi enter, I'm going to spread it around on tournaments that aren't super top heavy. If I'm going to mass multi enter a millie maker tournament, I'm probably going to try to take some stands here and eliminate like two guys. Uh, from you know the 10k up range that I can move away from and then condense a little bit more ownership onto the guys that I feel a little bit stronger about in obviously like three max tournaments and stuff like that you just have to take stands so 
the areas that I'm more likely to take take stands, um, I'm trying to find players that I feel like their their T degree game T green game hasn't been particularly sharp of late. Uh, Jason Day kind of fits that mold for me. He's been picking up a lot of strokes in his recent finishes around the greens, uh, both you know chipping in and making long putts and stuff. And that's certainly stuff that Jason Day does when he's at his best. But the driver hasn't been great. It's been you know good the last two weeks, and his approach shots have been way off. Uh, pretty much like the last five six events that he's been in. So Day's a guy I'll probably have less ownership than the field on. It also looks like looking at Colin's initial ownership projections, it looks like this is going to be pretty spread out in general. I was kind of hoping that ownership might condense on a player or two, and that would help guide me. But if it's going to be spread out, then I just pick the guys that I'm less high on relative to the field. And Day is going to be one of those guys. I came into the week thinking. Jordan Spieth might be one of those guys just from a course fit perspective. He's not the longest of these top guys. And the price tag at 11.5 is close enough to DJ and Rory that I'd probably get more of my ownership there. I'm still trying to figure that out because if I'm going to narrow a second guy down out of this 10K plus range, it's between Spieth and Fowler for me. I'm trying to figure out whether the course fit and the savings from Fowler outweigh the recent form from Spieth, which has been really, really good on approach shots. And really his only weakness all season has been a little bit of inaccuracy with the driver which won't hurt you as much given these super wide fairways. So the, those are kind of the guys that I'm trying to move against. And then the other guys I just have slightly above uh, field weights, which I think the highest you're going to have to go to get above field weights on these guys is like maybe DJ gets up to 30. Uh, maybe Rom gets up to like 25. But I think most of these guys are probably going to end up around, you know, low 20s and, and around those numbers. It's not hard to get overweight the field and still have pretty decent exposure to them drewby your take on this top tier of golfers uh what what are you going to be doing with these guys yeah i, I know I, I kind of lumped them all together on the sheet um i i think that the guys who are priced kind of in the low 10ks you might be able to fit onto teams with either with multiple of those guys or um if you do go kind of superstars and scrubs um you can you can fit maybe a couple of them on there but as far as like the the anchor players, the guy I'm least high on is is Day. Um, I think like it seems like the course should set up perfectly for DJ and Rory, and I, I think that like like I play more, more three max formats than I do mass multi entry, and so I think I, I would be inclined to start with a DJ team, a Rory team, and still torn between whether I would do like a third team built around speed or whether I do another DJ team. Um, but those are, those are the guys that I'd be kind of angling for. And I'm, I'm not sure that I want to start a team with a ROM or Sergio as, as kind of my lead guy. No, no love for ROM, huh? I think, uh, He's a fun guy to have. Uh, I Do you guys anticipate any one of these players, Drew, I'll ask you. I know, Drew, you're doing some of the ownership projections, but do you anticipate any one of these players being, like, disgustingly more high-owned than everybody else? Drew, you mentioned you think DJ could get up to, like, 30. Is that the guy that should carry the most ownership? You know, is that what you're expecting then? I think DJ, um, and then I think Rom. Uh, simply because of the price gap between him and those other top guys, I think will be pretty popular on the higher stakes stuff. I think Rory's very popular typically in the higher stakes, you know, the, the club pro and the Thunderdome and all those seem to pump out big ownership for Rory all the time. So I think he'll be a little bit heavier on there. I think, in general, though, DJ and, and Rom, I think, are going to be the two higher-owned. Maybe Spieth in the lower stuff, because the lower stuff, Spieth tends to gravitate some ownership. But I think those two, DJ and Rom, are probably the top two in terms of ownership among this group. Drewby, do you agree? I, I do, and I think the other thing to call out is I think it's pretty... I don't think there are going to be massive gaps of ownership between them. And so I think when you look at some of the lower like price tiers, there's going to be massive gaps of ownership where some guys are 2%, some guys are 20%. And like, you're not really going to see that. So it kind of seems like the ownership appears like at this top level is fairly efficient as far as like where they're priced. And um, I don't think this is really the spot like where I'm trying to get cute from like a contrarian play perspective. Okay. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about that tier with the with that being the, you know the best players. But let's move into the mid range, which is where I think it gets really interesting because with 
the field strength picking up so much in majors. You have a lot of really good players, or at least to us would be in this like 9K, maybe 10K range, depending on the field, that get smushed down. Um, you have like Stenson at 93, you have Rose, Hideki, all these guys in this tier. I'm not going to list off all of their names, but when I when I mentioned mid, mid-range, Drewby, you selected this 8 to 10K. So uh, pretty decently wide um, selection of players to choose from. Drew, who might your favorites be in this kind of large group of, you know, made up of a lot of really good golfers, though? Yeah, I think Adam Scott just really stands out from a price perspective that he's much cheaper than he should be. I don't think, you know, historically there's much difference between guys like Hideki, Justin Rose, Sergio, Stenson, Adam Scott. You know, maybe Scott's a little bit worse than those guys but he's priced substantially lower than those guys. So he really stands out to me as the most compelling kind of value of this 8 to 10K range. I think Justin Thomas, from a course fit perspective and a price tag, is really interesting. The thing that I struggle with with Justin Thomas is most of his best results come at events where you can make birdies and you can make lots of birdies, and that's really not the U.S. Open kind of you know approach. So I think he's got a good price tag. I think he's got a good course fit, but I'm not sure that the type of scoring environment is the best for him. Um, but I will definitely have some in GPPs because when he goes right, it's usually with scoring. And if this does turn out to be like a lower scoring environment than most U.S. Opens, um, maybe he's he's interesting there. Uh, and then Paul Casey. Most of the guys I like in the 8 to 10K range happen to be in the 8K range simply because I don't see a huge gap in skill set between the 8Ks and the, the 9Ks, and most of the 9Ks, you know, you're talking about four guys. Uh, two of them are 95 and up with Hideki and Justin. So I think my favorite is Scott, and then I don't mind Justin Thomas, but more of GPP exposure there. Um, and then Paul Casey, I think, is interesting. And especially, you know, I think this tier is going to get largely forgotten because I think so many people are going to go down in the 7Ks where there's a lot of popular plays. So I think this is a tier where you can get some perhaps lower than expected ownership, you know, maybe a high single digits or uh, low double digits on some of these guys. Drewby, um, any particular favorites from this group? I know it's, it's a large group of players, but anyone that you really, really like that you're going to maybe extend that ownership exposure on? Yeah, I, I love Adam Scott as well. Uh, one of my favorite plays this week. I think in addition to being really strong T green, the other thing that I was digging into is just his performance and events that have tougher fields. So the majors, the players championship, and then kind of the FedEx cup run. And he's got a really strong track record over the past couple of years of those tournaments. And he's talked about playing less and kind of trying to gear up for some of those events. And it, it seems like it's showing up in the data and um, you know, he he's made, cuts in 11 of 11 of those events, top 20s and in nine of the 11 events. And so that's a pretty strong track record for a guy at 8,800. And so like, that's definitely chalk that I'm willing to, to kind of eat. I think the other thing that was interesting, I put together these ownership projections that like, I had like five or six weeks of data in there and kind of weighing a bunch of different factors, including the price, the top 20 odds, kind of the sentiment using like fan chair tags and things like that. And it sounds like Brandon Grace might be somewhat popular this week as well. And especially on DraftKings, where he's priced right next to Scott. If they're even like remotely close in ownership, I, I like Scott a lot more than Grace. I think I could get on board with Grace on FanDuel, where he's just a significant discount. But Scott's definitely my favorite guy from this range. In general, I think this is going to be one of the more important ranges to figure out whether you're talking three mats or three max or mass multi-entry tournaments just because i think that hideki stenson and brooks are going to come in pretty low owned um even if you know even if phil doesn't doesn't play i think they're still going to come in pretty low owned i think casey's going to come in pretty low owned and then the whole like bottom end of that range is also like bubba watson duffner Berger, i think are also going to be single digit ownership percents and I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to like buy back into Bubba reverting back to like 2014 to 2016 form, but um, but I, I think he's going to be four percent, and he looked he looked great last event. Have we? If, heard... if you want, if you want Bubba, he's really cheap on Fanduel. 
Like that's probably the place from like if you're really excited about playing Bubba this week. Obviously, from a game theory perspective, the ownership will be much lower on DraftKings where he's in the mid eights than on FanDuel. But if you're like wanting Bubba cash game exposure, you're more likely uh, from a play perspective to have it on FanDuel because of the price tag. One other thing I'd note there on Adam Scott, Truby, uh, I was watching all those interviews today on the Golf Channel. I kind of just kept having it on on loop. Uh, and Adam Scott talked a lot about how good he feels about where his game is right now. Um, and specifically about this, this major being like he, he said he had similar feelings to before the 2013 masters to when he was coming in. Like he's, he sounded really confident about where his game is. He gained a ton of strokes, uh, off the uh, tee to green last week at the St. Jude, obviously a very different type of course, you know, shorter course. Um, but he said that really helped him focus on his irons and his approach game. He just didn't make any putts last week. And that was the big thing that kind of held him back for the season. He's actually been a better putter than he usually is. And he hadn't been gaining strokes. So I was really encouraged by that Adam Scott interview in terms of him just talking very confident, very confidently about where he is with his game currently. Hey, Drew, I know um, I was just going to make a, a quick note. You had, I don't I don't want to say you started, but you basically did. The whole Bubba pink ball conspiracy. <laughs> Do we know? Because, what well, he played really well, Was I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, with a white ball, correct? Do we know yeah. what color he's going to be rolling out? I'm not sure. If I, it makes sense that Volvic would have like, made him post like something on Instagram or something about what color he might be using this week. I'm not sure. Have you guys seen Ish. anything on that? They sh- they should have. Everybody's posting all their kits for the right. whole weekend, but I haven't seen. The only thing I saw I saw uh, Bubba with a what it, what is the name of that weird looking like small ostrich bird that they have, <laughs> that they have up there. I saw him by a farm. Uh, that that was no, it wasn't an emu. It was like an alpaca or something like that. I don't know. Um, but I, that's the only thing I saw from from Bubba this week on the the social media. But yeah, he was really good with the white ball. Um, a little bit of a joking conspiracy theory. Uh, that I had with that, but I thought, I thought it meant he, you know, he might not be taking his game as seriously. Uh, and as soon as he went back to the white ball, you know, he was, he was great again. It's the same ball. It's still Volvic. So it's not like, it's not like a huge difference in equipment. Um, but yeah, it was, it was funny to see as soon as he turned it, the game turned on. Yeah. Hey, Drew, the, the other thing we didn't go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the other thing we didn't really stress at the beginning as much was, there are four part fives, and I think it's the first U.S. Open that's happened at since like Pebble, and a lot of the birdies are going to come on those holes. And so I definitely think that's a good point that you know Drew brought up about Bubba's price on FanDuel, and if you feel the need to grab exposure to him, he might be higher owned there, but it's a little bit safer. Um, but I think par five scoring, especially from like a, will impact fantasy more more than it may impact like the tournament in general. Hey, Drewby, one thing you brought up there in when we were talking about that range that I, I wish I would have asked, um, or I'm going to ask it now, I should have asked sooner, though, was about fades. You talked about Grace and Scott being so close that uh, you're okay with eating the chalk. Is there anybody else in this range, Drew, is there like one particular player? I know it's a lot of really good players, uh, but is there like one uh, particular player that you're just like, no, I'm not paying, you know, like a, a, a Ryan Palmer, like, no, I will not pay for him. Uh, is there anybody here in this range? For me, Bub- Bubba's my guy. Uh, and I don't, I was really interested to see where Stenson ownership was going to come in this week. And Collins got a projected pretty moderate, like in the low teens. I've seen some others talk about it getting up into the high teens. And I thought Stenson might be interesting if he was low owned this week, but if he's going to be like normal size ownership, I probably won't have much Stenson and I, I won't have any, uh, any Kepka at nine K. He's not a guy that I'm going to play at, at nine K in this field. Uh, I know it's a bomb. It's a great course for, for length and distance and par five scoring. And those things are important, but I, I feel like he's just substantially overpriced on DraftKings. Drewby, any other guys from this range that you might be just like cold fading? Yeah, I mean, no grace for me on DraftKings. Probably some grace on FanDuel, just so if he goes nuts, I don't have to eat all my money. Um, and I'm probably probably not going to end up playing very much Duffner. Um, I think he's just like too similar to some guys that are $1,000 cheaper that I can 
kind of get at, at almost similar ownership levels. Um, so no Duffner for me, no Grace, except for FanDuel. Okay, let's move to that range that's just below Duffner, where uh, a really popular range to, to choose from really in any tournament. Again, though, we're getting a lot of players that uh, not only the Albatross will like, but I'm sure you guys have your thoughts on as well. So I'm going to turn it over before I even name anyone. I'm glad Mike uh, Leone's not on this podcast because we would spend the next 10 minutes solely talking about Thomas Peters. Uh, but, Drew, anyone in this range, um, you know, we're getting guys like Kucher and Peters and all these, you know, players in, in this type uh, range. Uh, are there anybody from here that you really, really like that you're going to, you know, sell sell out on? This this range is amazing, and I think this range is going to carry a lot of mid-teens ownership simply because there's some vastly underpriced players here. I think Thomas Peters is a very interesting course fit. I don't know that he's necessarily underpriced. I kind of think he's priced, at least relative to the other options in the field, I think he's kind of priced appropriately. That doesn't. I, I think he's a very good play, and he's someone I'm going to have plenty of exposure to. The guy that I thought... I don't know. I guess I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. I thought I was on a little bit of an island because he never seems to garner heavy ownership. But the more I hear people talk, I hear a lot of them. And I went on Pat Mayo's show and I predicted uh, Louis Ustazen as the winner of this of, of this U.S. Open. And I really like a lot of things working in Louis' favor. I like the fact that he competes well. Uh, in the majors, he's been in great form. He's been adding strokes off the tee and on approach consistently. He hasn't played a lot, and I thought he might get kind of lost in the shuffle because he hasn't played a lot of late. But odds really like him, and a couple other people are are on him as well. So I think he's going to be owned for sure. But he is one of my favorite plays this week. I think he's just. I think from from an overall portfolio perspective, he probably looks like he's priced you know, correctly or maybe a little bit underpriced because he doesn't play a ton and he has a lot of events where he kind of doesn't show up. But I kind of believe in the Louis Majors big events narrative around him. And I just think this is uh, he's played so well all year, but just hasn't really like knocked down any wins. And I feel like this is going to be an event uh, where where he contends. So I'm big on Louis Ustazen this week. Drewby, um, players that you might really, really like from this range? So I was talking to Drew about it earlier in Slack, and I feel like last year on DraftKings, the pricing was super efficient compared to the odds, at least at least during certain weeks. And you would still see the same bunched-up ownership um, in certain places, but a lot of times it was cause with guys that were actually priced like pretty fairly. I think that's changed a little bit and you kind of get these like pockets of players within a tier that jump out as the best plays and they end up being the highest owned plays. And I actually think they, they kind of are. And so you're, you're left with like, a, it's a little bit more of a challenging decision where you're weighing like player X at 15% ownership versus like player Y at 10% ownership um, versus like last year, it might've been like a 2% versus 20%. So I think it's a little bit tougher to try to like figure out what you're going to do with the guys in this range. Um, I definitely think like the, so I mentioned that I think the popular plays are the best plays from this range. So I think like Peters, Kuchar, Kisner are going to be popular. I think Norn and Louis are going to be popular. And then I, I think you can move down a little bit. And I think that like Charles and, I'd say one of the guys that I'm not as bullish on that I think will be popular is Shane Lowry. So I I don't think he's a great play this week, but he is like a fit from an odds perspective and it's someone that other people in the community like. So that might be one of the guys in this range that I think will be popular that I'll probably fade. Okay. Uh, a few guys in here just want to note um, from an Albatross perspective, and I want to get your thoughts on um, low-owned players we might be looking at. We got Burns Wiesbeger, uh, Verger in here. I don't even know what I said the first time. Uh, Terrell Hatton. Uh, thoughts on those guys? I know, Drewby, that's what you have in here. I'm guessing that was your ownership projection on these guys, just low ownership. Uh, any thoughts on any players from this range that will just be really, really low-owned, Drewby? Yeah, I think Haddon and and Burn. I think Burn will be a little bit more owned. I have him like around eight percent. I think in the the last run I was looking at. Um, but I I think that's one of the things about the Albatross projection system that it picks up well. That like 
the work I do on my own doesn't is all the European tour events. And so like burned has been in great form over in Europe and he's for whatever reason, he always seems to struggle a little bit when he comes over to the States. But, um, I know that, you know, Christian's trying to take, uh, you know, how the typical player transitions from like Euro events, PGA events into account with the projections. And so the fact that burned is popping and has been in good form in Europe is something that I think will be interesting. Um, and then Haddon was, um, I haven't dug too much into him, but I think he's the guy that was, I don't know, 25% or so owned during the Masters. Um, and so we're only here a couple months later, and, you know, his game really hasn't changed too much. And so I think it's kind of like an interesting speculative play if you want to get like a, a really low owned guy um, in this price bucket. Okay, Drew, when we move to this 6K tier you talked about maybe being a little more likely to play studs and duds because of the emphasis on place points and you're you're allowing yourself to get those studs in here when we move to this range though we're typically always getting lower owned guys uh, and you know rightfully so in a sense because these players are not as good Uh, are there players from this range that you really like Uh, are there players you think will be highly owned that that stand out in this range yeah, I do think there's some players from this range. Uh, I just wanted to name one guy that I like from a GPP perspective in the 7K range, especially if if Collins' projected ownership is anywhere near uh, Gary Woodland from a course fit. When you're talking about like long distance oriented courses, um, Woodland, if Collins got like one to two percent, if that's the case in that range, which I think is is very viable given all the strong plays around him. I think he's really interesting, and I like I like Molinari better than Course Fit might suggest, but I think people are on to that, so it, I think he's going to be owned correctly. In the sub-7K range, I think the three guys that I've heard the most often are uh, Pyongyon An, who is just underpriced at 6800 I think you could make a case that, from an overall skill perspective, there's not really much difference that from Benny An and, like, Daniel Berger or, you know, Paul Casey or, you know, Kisner. Um, and he's priced like 2K to 1500 cheaper than all those guys. So I think he'll be owned. Uh, Mark Leishman has had some really good results. T to green of late. He's 6,700. I think he'll be fairly owned. Uh, Colin's got a pretty substantial ownership projection on him over 15%. And then um, the other name that I've heard some of is Ross Fisher, who I think is really interesting. He's long. He's been great on the European tour all season long. Um, he's kind of like burned and then he hasn't had that traction where it's carried over. Uh, it hasn't carried over when he's played in the U.S. to substantial finishes quite as much. Um, but I think he's kind of like a newer, sexier name because he's been having more success. Um, and those three guys, I think, are good plays but I think they're going to be owned appropriately. So I do think there are other GPP type targets in this range that I think are going to go underlooked because basically when you have so many options eating ownership in the seven K's and some of these other six K guys, these other guys, there's just not enough uh, to go around. So I think guys like Emiliano Grio, who's, you know, 6,900 Brian Harmon, who's playing great and is plenty long off the tee um, and Pat Perez whose approach game has been great, but he's been really wild with the driver. And it's one of these things from a GPP perspective that I think is exciting is you can take guys who have been wild with the driver and just kind of assume like, hey, these super wide fairways are going to reduce all of the problems that they've had before um, and hope that like everything else corrects. Um, But if it goes wrong, it's going to go really, really, really wrong because if they get trapped in the fescue, they could be making just horrifically large numbers um but i think a guy like pat perez who has not been accurate with the driver but has been great with long approaches and adding strokes uh, on approach pretty consistently i think is interesting uh, as a low on gpp guy as well with as wide as the fairways are would you even consider taking andrew loop if he was in this event <laughs> that would be that would be the gpp type of play where like maybe the fairways are wide enough to consider so some of those guys that are erratic off the tee like i I, I'm not going to go near that type of player in a cash game setting, but from a GPP perspective, there is some merit to these fairways being so substantially wider, so much substantially wider that you could 
you could reduce a lot of the things that usually cause them pain. Now, when well, they're wrong, it's going to be really bad. That's the problem. I was going to say, let, let's just like clear this up. You're not playing Andrew Liu <laughs> in the U.S. Open. <laughs> well, he's not. He's not eligible for right, the U.S. Right, Open. Yeah. I, but, but but no. I, like I think we we kind of like jumped over. But I think I would like consider J.B. Holmes. Um, yeah. Uh, not in like my three max teams, but I think in, if I do end up putting like fifty teams in there, like. I, I think I'll have JB Holmes exposure for for sure. Um, probably not more than like ten percent, but I think he's like the type of guy that will go off at you know sub five percent ownership. That probably top twenty is in this event like once every five or six times that he plays. Um, uh, okay, yeah, those are. The- those are the guys for me that I think from a GPP perspective, especially if they're in the low to mid seven Ks, because there's so many good players in that range that those guys are just naturally going to go way, way overlooked. And yeah, there's a lot of volatility to them. And yeah, your day could be over before you even wake up. If you're like on the West coast and some of these guys tee off early and you like wake up and they're six over through, you know, three holes or something like that. But these guys are the types of guys that they're going to be probably, you know, seven to 10 times less the ownership of some players right around them. And it's just tremendous leverage on the field if you get them right. Are there any players from this range uh, that you think can actually compete um, from like a leaderboard perspective, Drewby? I know we mentioned wanting to get guys. Uh, this is the case for every tournament, but this one more so than others because of the scoring environment. Are there guys down here that you think could actually like find themselves in the top 10 or anything like that come Sunday? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, don't, I like down in this range, it's pretty speculative to say that you expect them to be in the top 10, but some of the 6K guys that intrigued me a little bit um, were Lee Westwood, Stuart Sink, and Lucas Glover were a couple names. Um, I think Glover is interesting to me just because he hits the ball so well off the tee and he's strong with his irons, and so we don't really know how the course is going to play but if if it does turn out where it's like a ball strikers paradise that putting doesn't matter as much then like glover's the the type of guy where he has just like the outlier stat that he sucks at putting and so if either the course the conditions neutralize that or he happens to run good for a week i think someone like that is interesting and then lee westwood um usually seems to like find his name close to the leaderboard and then eventually eventually like collapse whether it's saturday and sunday but i think he's someone that it wouldn't shock me if i saw him kind of up there the other thing i like there's a, a ton of guys that are going to be sub five percent that still have you know like six to one chances like one in six chance of kind of coming in the top 20 and so i think if you are doing like mme and you're going to take like a pool of 10 of those guys. Like the expectations are that you'll be able to get two of them into the, the top 20. And so I think that's one way that you could end up in like a good leverage situation. If you were mass multi entering is by um, kind of cobbling together a pool of these sub 5% ownership guys that are, you know, six, six to one or five to one to come into the top 20 and just hope that your higher guys hit. Okay. Drew, any last thoughts on this punt 6K type range before we move on? No, those were some of the names uh, Drew, we mentioned, like, you know, Lucas Glover is a guy that's interesting to me. Jamie Lovemark, another guy that's kind of interesting to me uh, in terms of distance off the tee. But these guys, I, you know, I think in general, there's not a lot of ownership to go around among all the low sevens and high six K guys. So if it's a name you haven't heard mentioned that you find a reason to like, you're probably getting them at sub 5% this week uh, with all the really strong values that are in the, in the sixes and sevens. Okay. Well, before we sign off guys, I of course for this type of event need to get your winners. uh, Not only because you guys have teamed up to destroy Everyone else, as far as one and done in the Daily Roto Internal League, um, so I need the intel for that. But let the people know as well who is going to take this tournament down. Drew, I know you had already predicted that King Lewis uh, will be winning this thing. Are you standing by that, or are you going to hedge your bets and uh, throw another name out there? No, I'm I'm all in on King Louis this week. I'm I I I really I just I got a good feeling about Louis who stays, and I've. He was right there at the players. I feel like he's been so good tee to green. 
consistently over the last you know five six seven events uh, as the years really ramped up and i feel like he's he's one of these guys that competes in in majors and he grinds out uh, rounds tough tough scoring environments don't bother him he can still go low in tough scoring environments i remember uh was it was it last year at chambers bay that he started off uh kind of like plus six or plus eight on the front nine and ended up finishing with like a top five uh he's a guy that'll grind for you so i like louis stays in quite a bit uh this week drewby who's gonna take this thing down so I'm in two one and dones, just like full transparency. And Coach Essers, which actually like I invested money in and you know put a lot of time and effort into, I'm just getting slaughtered. So I gotta go like off the board in that one and done, just to try to like hope somehow I get like a lone wolf winner and can get like a couple million bucks to make up on the field. But our one and done, I'm gonna take Adam Scott, and he's kind of my pick. Um, I mean, I think if you're giving me the same odds on everyone, like I think DJ is the favorite to win. But I'm taking Adam Scott as my pick to win. I'm going to take him in our one and done. If you want to make up ground on me, then Adam Scott's not the guy to take, unless I'm bluffing <laughs> you. But I don't think Adam Scott's the guy you want to take. Yeah. Um, well, you guys just heard it here. We mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that Drewby has now picked three consecutive winners. And he just labeled Adam Scott the winner of the U.S. Open. That should bolster Scott Drewby. If you're, if this was a like play to try and get people to, you know, not consider Scott, if that's what you wanted from this podcast, you just boosted his ownership on DraftKings by like twofold. Um, so maybe he's so he's going to be so highly owned that you you can't eat as much chalk as you originally had anticipated. Anyway, any last thoughts, guys, about anything from the U.S. Open before we sign off here? No, I would say, you know, we've, we've obviously dedicated a little bit more of this podcast to the DraftKings side of thing. On FanDuel, the, the values are a little bit different with guys like Berger and Charles Schwartzel uh, in that mid-six range, a little bit cheaper. Uh, but you can check out all of our projections, both for FanDuel and DraftKings, from DFS Albatross over at Daily Roto. And best of luck for everybody out there uh, competing in games, whether it be on DraftKings, FanDuel, Fantasy Draft, wherever you're at this week. Uh, should be a really fun week with the US Open. Drewby, any last thoughts? I think the only thing we didn't really touch on, so there, there's like a bunch of randos in this field, right? Because it's the U.S. Open, and so you have a lot of amateurs, and people are getting invites to the qualifiers and things like that. And so, I don't know, in a way I was able to cross off like 60-some-odd golfers just just by doing that. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a reason to dig that deep to play those guys, but I do think that makes it like the top 16 ties. Like the field's not like a full-strength major. Um, so I think from that extent, like... There's probably no reason for you to to dive super deep to these amateurs who have not played PGA Tour events before. Drewby, even in the final seconds, throwing out very valuable bits of information. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. It should be a really fun week, uh, a big week, a U.S. Open at Aaron Hills in Aaron, Wisconsin. Good luck in all your games, and if you've not done so already, we would greatly appreciate you leaving us a rating or dropping a review over on iTunes. You can subscribe to us there or on Podbean, and you can find us at Daily Roto Fantasy Golf. So please go ahead and do so. If you uh, appreciate the podcast, leave some feedback there. We greatly appreciate it. Otherwise, as we mentioned, good luck in all your games this week, and we will catch you next time. Back, sticky on the back, where the grass don't grow, gonna take a few hacks.